following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Um, it's a real uh, privilege for me to uh, be able to uh, share God's word with all of you here. And um, I just wanted to take a moment to uh, just first... I uh, share how grateful and, and thankful uh, both Esther and I are uh, to be part of ICC and to uh, be part of this community of faith. Uh, we know that it's not easy to uh, to find a church. And um, when we first moved to L.A., we, we, we struggled a bit uh, to find a community of faith, but we're just so thankful uh, to be here. And we've been attending since the end of summer, and already uh, we feel like home uh, here and we're thankful for all the relationships that we've uh, met with some new people here, along with um, old friends that we've had since our college days. Um, for, for me, I, I came to uh, move to the United States when I was nine years old, and uh, I moved to Northbrook, uh, Illinois. That was where I, I lived, and uh, so we ended up buying a house in Northbrook, and so I've really come full circle uh, in my life being back here um, I actually went to church down, just down the street from here. And so it's really surreal, uh, actually, for me to uh, be back in Chicago um, to see old friends. Uh, I dropped my son off at the high school that I uh, took for his basketball practice where I uh, went to high school. And so it's, it's just really strange for me. Uh, and, but it's, uh, it's really nice because uh, in Chicago, both Esther and I have family here. And so... Um, we're just so thankful to be here, uh, to be back home, and to be with all of you here. Uh, perhaps the, uh, the, f- the first question I, that I get asked often by uh, folks here um, is, uh, after they know that we've lived in L.A. for seven years, is, uh, how are you doing with the weather? <laughs> and, uh, um, and I'll be honest, these last two weeks uh, nearly broke me. Uh, <laughs> Uh, even this morning, I'm driving here, and I'm, I'm just dying. And uh, I'll, I'll admit that uh, I've become a little soft <laughs> after uh, living in, in, uh, in, in L.A. I wanted to show you the difference uh, in weatherman in L.A. versus Chicago. Um, you know, in L.A., all the, uh, the people that go up and give weather, uh, they basically uh, look like models, and they just kind of say the same thing over and over again. It's going to be sunny in 72, and... Um, high 72, low 60, and, uh, and so there, uh, you know, I don't think it takes a lot of, I don't, don't want to be mean, but I don't think it takes a lot of skill to be uh, a weather person in L.A., uh, but, you know, here, Tom Skilling is like, he's like a scientist, you know, when he, when he presents, and he, he, uh, he definitely knows what he's talking about, it goes through all the forecasts and the weather models, and, uh, but we have none of that in L.A., and so... Um, uh, it, it is a little bit hard. Esther and I have uh, struggled a little bit. Uh, but again, we're, we're just glad to be uh, near family uh, and friends here. Uh, as Dr. Steve mentioned, I'm, I am working full-time uh, as a uh, consultant uh, in the... Oh, actually, he didn't mention it, but um, I, I, I am working full-time uh, right now as a consultant in the healthcare industry, and, but also taking some classes uh, at seminary that I started in Los Angeles and I'm hoping to transfer over to Trinity uh, here in Deerfield uh, in the summer. And I'll share a little bit more about my own journey um, uh, of faith uh, that as it relates to that. So uh, with that being said, let me just quickly pray for us, and then we'll get into the passage. We'll come from uh, Galatians chapter 1. Let's pray together. Father, we, we just thank you uh, for an opportunity this morning to draw near to you in this new year. Um, Father, we thank you for uh, the many ways that you've spoken to us, uh, even last year, and as we enter into this new year, the way that you're moving in our hearts. Father, I pray this morning that you will allow for us to be sensitive to your voice to be sensitive to the way that you're moving in our hearts and to want to really commit ourselves to following you and wanting to draw nearer to you, uh, that perhaps in 2018 that, that we will love you in a deeper way than we did in 2017. And Father, I pray this morning that as, I, uh, as we 
look into your word, uh, that Lord, you would do what only you can, that you would speak to us that in our hearts that we would hear you. And Father, I, I just depend upon you to do that work, for no man can, can do the work that only you can. And so, Father, be glorified through this time. We thank you. Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, the passage this morning comes from Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 9. And let me read it for us, as uh, it should also be up on screen. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who raised, us from the, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, through the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins and to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before and now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Uh, you may be wondering uh, why I have chosen Galatians um, as a passage for today. And uh, the reason is simple in that in this season of my life, uh, God has really given me a conviction uh, to, to go deeper in my understanding of the Bible. And uh, what I've noticed in, in myself and perhaps others that are like me in, in the early stages of of learning how to handle the Word of God is that uh, there is a, a constant temptation uh, to view and, and to use Scripture as a, a supporting document for what, what you feel like what you want to say and uh, what you think people need to hear. Um, oftentimes when we go to church, uh, we'll hear, um, we may hear messages that in which there are um, there are certain things that are preached, and yet the Bible is used as a reference. Um, and so, uh, in my own conviction, in my season of life today, I've really been wanting to uh, grow in my understanding of, of, Galatia, of, of the Bible. And therefore, uh, what, what I'm convicted to do is to choose a book to really try to go deep in. And so Galatians has been my own uh, choice to, to try to understand the book and to try to go deeper and my hope is that as we um, take time to, to parse out the first, uh, first few verses of, of the book of Galatians, that, that God will speak to you. Uh, the book of Galatians is, um, uh, has been such a, a great blessing in my life. And I, I feel like I've just been swimming uh, in the ocean of this great letter written by Paul the Apostle to the churches in Galatia. And... Um, as we, uh, as we go into these first few verses, my hope is that, again, that God will speak to you and that the word itself would be uh, the source of blessing uh, to you. Now, uh, in, in this letter uh, of, of the, in, in Galatians, uh, Paul refers in verse 7 uh, to the reason why he's writing this epistle to the Galatians. In verse 7 he says, um, not that there is another one referring to the gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ, that there are some who trouble you. And so who are these people uh, that are troubling the churches in Galatia? Well, it's, it seems like Paul doesn't, he doesn't know them personally. Uh, as later on in chapter 5, verse 10, he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. And so it seems like he doesn't know them personally. Uh, they seem to be a group of false teachers that have come into the church um, that is uh, scholars labeled as Judaizers. And uh, they are 
or folks that have come into the church while Paul is away to teach about, um, to provide a teaching in which they are trying to get the Gentile believers to adopt Jewish custom. And therefore, um, Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, uh, he describes them as forcing the Gentiles to live like Jews. Uh, later on in chapter 2, verse 12, Paul refers to them as the circumcision party. And so these group of false teachers um, are further described in, in Acts chapter 15, verse 1 to 2 by uh, Luke. Uh, as uh, and I'll read it for us. Uh, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So these Judaizers were, were men from Judea that came up, and while Paul was witnessing to other and, and reaching other places, they came to the churches of Galatia, and they were teaching uh, that these Gentile believers have to observe Jewish customs in order to be truly saved. Now, in the book of Galatia, uh, Galatians, you will see that Paul's emotions are spilling out all over this book. And in fact, he is upset and mad. And, and there's a great disdain that Paul has for uh, this group because of what they were teaching. Uh, there's a verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, where Paul refers to them uh, in a very direct and, and uh, in some ways, uh, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't beat around the bush. He says, um, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And so when we see uh, that verse, we see that Paul just has such great emotion. He was, he was they, these were, I believe, his mortal enemies in the ministry that he had. And what is interesting is that when you study church history, this issue, this debate between Paul and his gospel and these Judaizers became, become, in fact, the first major threat to the church. Uh, and that converted Jews from Judea, who were most likely, some of them were, may have been converted Pharisees, were now going out into the region where Paul was, and while Paul was not there, was teaching that Gentiles have to observe sacred Jewish customs like circumcision and other Jewish customs to be truly accepted by God. And not only that, but on top of that, that they were saying that Paul the apostle was not a true apostle and that he was not a true authorized agent from Jerusalem and therefore that their teaching was more superior than Paul. You can see how this has really angered and, and, and gotten Paul mad, and so he expresses that over and over again in the book of Galatians. And, uh, and so let me just highlight some verses that you'll see all throughout Galatians that, that show this. And this is actually very unique in that Paul doesn't really get this emotional in any of the other letters that he writes. And so uh, in verse 6, he goes, I'm astonished. Uh, that you are so quickly deserting him. And then he says later on that you are turning to a different gospel. In verse 8, he, he says, let him be accursed. In chapter 3, verse 1, this one's, I think, the meanest. Uh, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Uh, I was actually listening to another translation besides the ESV, and it, it actually, is, I, don't, I don't know what translation this was because I was listening on audio and said, oh, st stupid Galatians. And I thought, wow, that's really harsh. Uh, chapter 4, verse 8. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. And he says, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you 
in vain. Chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, he says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Chapter 5, verse 12, this one is, is another level. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Chapter 6, verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And then he ends the, he ends the letter in verse 17. I think this is the mic drop of the letter. Uh, he goes, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Do you feel it? Do you feel his emotion? I mean, no other epistle... Uh, that Paul writes has this type of emotion. And I, I can literally picture uh, G, um, Paul the Apostle pacing around the room uh, as he composes this letter to, to the Galatians. And uh, I can see his close associates telling him to calm down because he is, he's just overflowing with, uh, with emotion. You know, for the parents in this room, uh, it might feel a little bit like, like Paul's, um, you know, Mama bear comes out a little bit. Um, and, you know, for any of you here that, that have experienced some of those emotions before, when someone messes with, like, your kid, um, this is similar, you know, the way that Paul reacts. You know, last year, uh, my son Paul uh, started sixth grade at a new school, and this is a picture of him. I, I dropped him off, um, and, you know, he's got three bags. He's really uh, worried about where to go. Uh, the, the junior highs in California are huge. They're like the size of high schools here. Um, and so, you know, I could tell he was a little worried and pray for him. <laughs> and, um, and basically, they, you know, they, don't, they don't really have good bus service in L.A. And so they, they basically, if you take the bus, they drop you off at a school that's close to your home, and then you have to go pick up your kid. Um, and basically... For Paul, uh, his uh, drop-off location was about five blocks from our home. And so Esther and I were having this debate about, okay, well, you know, should we let him walk home? And, uh, you know, while, while we were growing up, right, this, this really wasn't a big issue, walking home five blocks. But, you know, with all that we know today <laughs> and uh, the news and all that we we know could happen, uh, we just had this long debate about whether we felt comfortable about letting Paul walk home and cross this major street and, and uh, deal with uh, you know, whoever lives along the way, <laughs> perhaps. And, um, and so, you know, obviously, you know, I, was, I was kind of doing the, um, hey, you know, this is how he's going to get tough and he's going to be a man. And, and Esther's like, no, you know, he's, he needs to be picked up. And so we, we were talking about it, and then we, we said, okay, well, let's compromise and let's... let's um, Let's have him walk home, but why don't you go out and meet him? Like, you know, so a third of the way, go out and meet him and then walk home with him and just see how he does. And so, uh, so I, I basically uh, went to the Starbucks, which is kind of one-third of the way for him to go home. And I went a little early, got some coffee and was reading and uh, was just basically waiting for Paul to come. And so he, you know, he walked about one block and then... Uh, he showed up at Starbucks, and when I saw him, I, I, I thought, that, oh, he was a little bit, something was wrong, a little shaken. Uh, he was a little, something was a little bit off, and so I asked him, hey, Paul, how, are you okay? What, what happened? And uh, he was a little bit hesitant at first. He didn't want to tell me, but when I pressed him, he told me that there was a group of bigger boys that were, that were kind of there along the way, and, and then he said, uh, one of them said, hey, What's in your bag? And, and he kind of got scared, and he just kind of ra- ran away from them. And so immediately, <laughs> I heard this story, and, and Papa Bear came out, you know. Uh, and I said, where are these boys? <laughs> uh, and, and he said, well, they're, they're, they're like outside, you know, right around the corner. But he's like, but Dad, you know, it's not a big deal. Let's just go home. And I said, no, Paul, we're going to go talk to them. 
And, um, you know, he wanted to just kind of just, you know, not make it a big deal and let's just go home. But but for me, you know, uh, this was my son, the son of Haman and Esther Cho. And and, uh, he was my firstborn. He was God's gift to me. And, um, you know, these, these boys, they didn't hit him, but they messed with him. And I, I couldn't walk away. And so I remember I, I, I took him and I, we started walking towards these boys, and they saw me walking towards them. Um, and I, I, I must have looked pretty, pretty scary because they all kind of got really quiet. And, um, and I said, which one of you here asked my son? <laughs> You know, what was in your bag? Maybe this wasn't the most Christian thing to do, but, but uh, I don't know. I just, it just came out, and, and, uh, and they all looked around, and one of the bigger boys said, um, Sir, uh, it was me, and I want to apologize. I didn't mean anything by it. Uh, they were actually really nice. Um, and so I don't remember what I said to them, to be honest. I, I just, you know, basically said, don't mess with them again or else you'll deal with me, or, or something to that effect. Um, and, and Paul didn't have any issues after that. Um, and so, why, why? You know, is, is this emotion uh, that came from me similar to, to what we're seeing in Paul here? Uh, was Paul simply upset because these Judaizers were were messing with the very churches that he had labored over, that he had planted, uh, that he was in the anguish of childbirth for? Or was it that these, these Judaizers were questioning his authority as an apostle? Well, I, I believe that some of these emotions did come as a result of those reasons, but when we look at the text, I, I believe the root of the emotions comes from what he states in verse 6. In verse 6 he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That the fact that they were turning to a different gospel, deserting Christ, was ultimately the reason why Paul was so emotional. He was so upset about that. Now I want to draw a parallel here in that uh, when you study the life and ministry of Christ himself, uh, the only times that you actually see Christ get upset in the scripture is actually very similar to what Paul is dealing with. And he, you know, just as Paul's dealing with these Judaizers that were focused on the law, uh, when we see the scripture, Jesus gets the most upset when he deals with Pharisees and scribes who um, are teachers of the law. And they use their works as a means to justify uh, themselves before God. Jesus in Matthew 23, when he describes the Pharisees and scribes in probably the one passage that he is the most upset, the seven woes passage, he says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And then later on, verse 13, he says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. So Jesus gets upset when he deals with people that, that use the law or use acts of righteousness as a means of justifying their relationship with God. And in the same way, Paul gets emotional and upset when he meets these Judaizers that are laying down this, these laws, these extra uh, acts of righteousness, circumcision, as a means of justifying their relationship with God. You know, my, my father uh, is perhaps like many of your fathers uh, in that he is a soft-spoken man, doesn't say much. He, uh, I was blessed that he didn't get upset very much growing up. He didn't have an anger issue. But when he did get mad, we all knew that it was serious. We all knew that uh, something was amiss. And when we read this passage, uh, and when we see Paul getting upset, and we also see the same pattern 
of Christ getting upset in his ministry, then we have to just pause and realize just how serious this issue is. That when we act, when we add our right, acts of righteousness to the gospel, that it is a serious offense to God. And so Paul goes on to say that I am astonished. I am astonished that you are deserting Christ by following this teaching that the Judaizers are giving you. And if you could imagine um, with me being in the audience of the Galatian churches, um, someone would have said, hey, there's a letter the Apostle Paul has written, and we're going to read it. And they would have all been sitting and, and, and waiting to hear with anticipation what Paul had to say to them. And after the usual initial greeting, verse 6 would have sent shockwaves. It would have meant everyone that, that heard verse 6 would have just paused and it would have it would hit them deep in their hearts. He's Paul from the very beginning sets the tone by saying he is astonished. He's surprised that this this word this Greek word for astonished in this text is domazo, and it's used forty five four four times in the New Testament, and it can be translated as amazed or marvelled. Uh, that same verb is verses uh, verb is used when uh, it describes the, the people being marveled at Jesus' teaching. Or perhaps uh, there's another verse where uh, Jesus is, is astonished at the faith of the centurion. And so that same verb is being used here, where Paul is saying he's, he's really surprised he's, that the people, the, the church of Galatia has diverted from the truth so quickly and easily. You know, growing up, for me, one of the scariest verses, if, if there's one verse that scares me the most in the scriptures, it comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, verse 23. And it says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And basically, this, this passage scares me and perhaps scares you is that basically Jesus is saying that on that day, on that last day when you stand before me, there are going to be many people that are genuinely surprised and astonished that they are not one, they will not be allowed to be entered into the kingdom of God, that they will not be counted as those that are truly saved. And so here, I just want to pause. I want to pause and ask you, are you sure that the gospel that you believe is the right gospel? Because I believe Paul is, is, is challenging the church in Galatia, and perhaps to us, to pause and ask ourselves, is it, is, it, is it possible that you and I can make the same mistake that the Galatians did? in accepting a distorted gospel by adding our own works of righteousness, whatever they may be. The way that Paul frames this verse uh, in verse 6 is really interesting because uh, he, he describes the acts of legalism that the Galatian churches were following, the acts of circumcision, as deserting Christ. That word, deserting Christ, is, is, um, is a very strong word, isn't it? I mean, what thoughts and emotions come up for you when I say deserter? Perhaps for you, uh, like me, you may think of a, a soldier in battle who deserts his, fo- his fellow soldiers and, and, uh, out of his own desire for self-preservation. Or you may think of a father you know, that deserts his wife and children because of a new affair or some type of interest. That word is a very strong word, isn't it? And Paul uses it, and it stings us, because it basically says, you've turned your back on those that you were supposed to love and care for. It is framed in the context of relationship. And Paul, in, 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 verse, uh, in, in, this, in, in this passage, frames the gospel um, in the context 
of relationship. And so when he describes the gospel in verse 3 to 5, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So in these verses, verse 3 to 5, that's the gospel. And Paul is essentially framing it as Christ in the context of a relationship, that Christ gave himself for our sins. Uh, in a commentary I read by Ronald Fung, he, he says this one verse um, describes basically the gospel. And so he says, in this one verse, Paul just describes several aspects of the redemption wrought by Christ. It's cause for our sins, that is because of them. It's means Christ gave himself or sacrificed himself. It's purpose and effect to rescue us. And it's origin, the will of our God and Father. Later on he says, Paul will argue that since Christ has, according to God's will, already rescued believers out of the present aeon where the law belongs, it is plainly unnecessary for them to add anything, including circumcision and observance of the Torah to the redemption already accomplished for them by Christ. So right from the very beginning of Galatians, Paul describes the gospel in its most simplest terms. Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us or to rescue us according to the will of our God and Father. I think the gospel starts to really make sense for us when we take it out of the sphere of, 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 um, of logic and start to put it in the context of, of relationship. And when we, when we start to think about the gospel and the fact that God initiated with us, that he first loved us, that he, that he, and that our, our, our response is only just to, res- to, to respond to that love that Christ has given to us, that is, in essence, the gospel. I dropped my uh, son off uh, at the retreat and along with other youth group kids uh, for ICC. And I was reminded of my own personal testimony uh, when, uh, as, a, as a junior high student, a seventh grader, going to a retreat and hearing the gospel and, and suddenly becoming just feeling like God had just, just, just created this hole in my heart that he spoke into. And for the first time, the gospel making sense to me. And I remember as a seventh grader, the next day at this retreat, I woke up early, which is a miracle in itself. And I, I walked down to the lake, and I remember feeling the presence of God for the first time. That God spoke to me, and he initiated me as a child, um, as a seventh grader. And that's the gospel. And that each of you, if you're a believer, have your own story. You have that one instance in your life where, for, for whatever reason, Christ called you by name. He spoke to your heart. And then you, for the first time, you, 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 you understood that he gave himself for our sins, that he rescued you. And perhaps in this new year and, and, and on this day that we can take some time to remember that and again bring the gospel back into the context of relationship. In John chapter 13, uh, there's a very familiar passage where, where Jesus is washing the disciples' feet and it, it, it talks about his interaction with Peter. And so... Uh, in verse 6 through 8, it says that Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you want to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter says to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. In essence, those who rely on your own specific acts of righteousness, your acts of legalism and moralism, you're in essence saying, like the Apostle Peter here, Jesus, don't wash my feet. 
they are the ones, and perhaps we are the ones, where we hear Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. And rather than opening the door, you, you say, Jesus, can you just, just wait? I've got I to gotta clean up. It's this, this just too messy in here. And, and you're running around, but you never f- truly open the door. When we rely on our own righteous acts rather than the work, the finished work of Christ, we essentially, as Paul says here, we are deserting Christ. And we, we're saying that, the finish, that it, when he said it is finished on the cross, we're saying, no, it's not finished, really. I, I need to add my own specific acts of righteousness. I have to add my own specific religion to this. That I reject the premise that Christ himself, Christ finished the work, that he truly rescued me. And I need to do more in order to be justified. For the Galatian church, it was an act of circumcision and following certain Jewish customs. But for for us, perhaps, uh, the acts of righteousness are different, isn't it? Perhaps, you know, circumcision can be translated to us as, as the sinner's prayer that we prayed many years ago. But if we're to be honest right now, we have no real relationship with Christ. It could be relying on perhaps past seasons of passion for God. Because I had those those seasons where I was really passionate for God, I'm okay now. Perhaps your acts of righteousness is just quiet times, you know? That when, I, when someone asks you, how are you doing spiritually, that in your mind, you know, did I do a quiet time? Oh, I, did, I did a quiet time. I'm, I'm okay now. Um, or it could be just busy, being busy at church, giving yourself to some ministry, uh, some church activity. You're just pouring yourself out, perhaps in, in the children's ministry or, or some, something. And, and, and you're saying, because I'm busy doing this, I'm okay with God. Or it could just simply be that you and your family are faithfully attending church every Sunday and you think that that's, that's good enough. But any of these past or present acts of righteousness that do not stem, do not come from a context where you are responding to Jesus in this relationship that you have with him. That is legalism. That is moralism. You know, um, what has really helped me better understand this um, is uh, there was a class I took where we were talking about Jesus and how in heaven we will see him face to face. Uh, We will interact with him. Jesus will, I I read this on social media of a former youth group student where he said, Jesus is going to be omnipresent. And I I was was like writing like, no, he's not omnipresent. Like I was going to start responding to him um, because Jesus forever will be a person. In fact, what's, what's really interesting to me is that bef- before he leaves um, and he's talking to the disciples, he says, you want me to go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come, right? And that, that verse is very interesting to me because it, it's com- completely opposite of how I would have felt. Like, no, no, I want you to stay. <laughs> I could see you and touch you. Why would I want you to go? And why would this be better? Um, this Holy Spirit that I cannot see be better than having you present here with me. That's, that's kind of the way I would have thought. So it, it seems very confusing to me that Jesus says, no, 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 what's better is actually if I go because the, the Holy Spirit can come. And I think what, in essence, Jesus is saying is that the Holy Spirit can do something that in my nature I, will, I cannot do. And that the Holy Spirit, right now, even now, can have a hundred conversations with you about different things at the same time. 
I mean, I wish I had that skill with Esther, you know, where I can be watching TV and having a real good conversation with her at the same time. But I, I know I can't do it. But the Holy Spirit is able here to be speaking to you individually, to your hearts in, in very unique ways at the same time, not only here, but all across the world. But in contrast to that, Jesus will be a person that we will interact with in heaven. Just like, just like you see me here, you will also see Jesus uh, one day again. And he will, be, he will be glorified, but he will be physical. And so, what is grounded where I am in my walk with Christ today is that I think about that one day when I will actually see Jesus face to face. I wonder what he's going to look like. I, I, I think about it, and I wonder what I'm going to say to him. And I'm sure he'll be busy <laughs> meeting with different people and, and we'll interact with him. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how things will happen. You know? I don't know how we'll get a chance to interact with him. Maybe he spends time with, the, you know, with me and then he has scheduled. I don't know. Maybe I have to make an appointment with him. I don't know how that's going to work. But he's going to be there. And I think about that. And it helped me ground my, my relationship with God similar to how I ground my relationship with friends in my life. One day I'll see him. And right now the Holy Spirit speaks to me in the Spirit of Christ so that it will be familiar when I hear his voice, his actual voice. But I will see him one day face to face. And so the gospel to me is not simply just this thing that God has done 2,000 years ago. But Jesus himself saved me. When I was a seventh grader, he called out to me. I heard his voice. And one day, I will see him face to face. And I'll say, you have been that voice that, that has followed me all these years. And that grounds me in the gospel. Let me, uh, let me share how easy it is for legalism to kind of creep into your life and our life. In preparing this message, I, um, I had the hardest week this week. I, if you know me, I, I, uh, I sleep very well. I, um, I don't have any trouble sleeping. In fact, I, I fall asleep regularly. Um, on the couch, <laughs> and I um, these days I can't you know I can't finish a movie without falling asleep. I, I I'm just but this week I just I couldn't sleep. I, I was torn by um, this message uh, because usually again when you, when you get a chance to preach a message you can just take one of your best hits from you know previous you know churches and, and ministries and you can take you know something that has you know, uh, worked before, you know, or something that you felt real, real passionate about. But God has convicted me to study a, a, a book. And so I'm, I'm dealing with these, these nine verses, and I'm, I don't know what it's saying. And, and I keep on wanting to insert my thoughts and, and my stories and my interpretations and, and things that I think are cool about it. Why? Because I want to impress you, and I, I want this time to go well, and 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 I want to make sure Dr. Steve thinks this is good, and and uh, you know, and we'll have a session after this where he'll he'll tell me, you know, what what things, and and I'll learn from that. And so all these things are going through my mind, and and I'm, I'm I'm struggling with it. I can't sleep. I'm working through it. I'm thinking through illustrations when I'm taking a shower. I'm, I'm working through things in my mind, and then suddenly. Suddenly, I'm just struck by the great irony of this all. Isn't it ironic that I am preaching that true faith is not displayed through our righteous acts before people, but it's a response of love and faith to what Christ has done. And yet for me, I'm so focused on people and, 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 and so focused on, on my own performance uh, that this sermon was not a response of result of my, 
my relationship with God, my love for God. But it was this, this act that I was trying to put on. And, and so I, I just felt really convicted by God. Um, last night, 3 a.m., I'm with my guitar you know, downstairs in the basement singing and trying to, to reclaim this The, the major struggle, the major struggle in my life has been that I've always felt like there was this bar that I had to clear. And this bar in my life, for me specifically, was that I've always felt like people that are really committed to Christ, that are really radical, that really love Jesus, will ultimately give up everything and become a pastor or missionary. That, that, that was kind of my, my thing. I don't know why. All the mentors in my life, all the older brothers in my life that I spent time with, they're all pastors. They're all missionaries. Um, and I was like, you know, I, I grew up in the church when I was in high school. I kid you not, I was at church five out of seven days. I don't know why, but I was there that much doing something preparing for small group or I was like the youth group president then you know college you know they called it officer then youth pastor you know I I was the guy that perpetually was over involved in church because I, I just felt like I had to contribute to the kingdom that those who really love Jesus that those who took seriously the call of God would give up all and that meant that I would leave my corporate job I would you know if I really loved Jesus I would be a missionary to the unreached nations like that 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 would be like the essence the apex and because of that burden in my life my my relationship with Christ was characterized more by guilt. Uh, it was characterized more by being tired and feeling like I just wasn't doing enough. It was a cycle of, I'm sorry, God, I'll try better. And this weekend, this is what I'm going to try to do. And then, sorry, God, I didn't do it. And I forgive me. Let me try again this week. It was a constant battle to to measure myself through my quiet times. It was a constant battle to measure myself against how active I was in the church. I had that hanging over me for a, lot, a long period of my life. My relationship with God was less about love and joy. And it was constantly about what more should I be doing for God. And perhaps you're not as extreme as I was but in the last few years God has freed me from that and even now uh, some of you guys might be asking you know how many are you taking seminary classes are you going to be a pastor you know and I'll tell you I, right now I have no plans to to be a pastor uh, I have no plans to be a missionary however if God calls me I will I will do it but those are not my plans because I, I no longer believe that that needs to be the bar that I clear in order to truly please God. Paul concludes the letter by summarizing in this one verse. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through And you can replace circumcision with whatever is your thing, whatever is your act of righteousness that, that, you have, that you have kept in your mind. This is what it is to really live for God. Maybe it's uh, a certain expression of faith. Maybe it's charismatic gifts. Maybe it's activity in the church. Maybe it's your quiet time. Maybe it's missionary service. Whatever it may be, 
counts for nothing because Christ has already done the work. So then what counts? What counts? Your faith working itself out in love. That's the only thing that counts. Let me say it again. Your faith working itself out in love. You can't fake love. What counts is how much you love Christ. As a result of you understanding how much he's loved you. And so let me invite the, wor- the worship team up as I just close and as I ask us just to um, just take some time to think about that uh, and just where you are uh, in your walk with God. I'm sure uh, in, for many of us here, 2018 represents a new beginning. Um, it represents certain goals that you may have Perhaps this year you might want to uh, just go deeper uh, in your understanding of God's Word. Uh, Perhaps this is a year that you feel like God is calling you to to really respond to uh, how He's working in your life. And I think it's easy for us to, uh, to focus on what we will do but brothers and sisters, let me, let me again remind you, let me actually bring you back to the day that he called you, the day that he, he called you by name. And for the first time that you realized, Christ gave himself for my sins. He rescued me. And once you realize that, once you really, really realize that Christ loved you and gave himself for you and that one day one day you will see him face to face and our whole life our whole life is just a, just a big thank you to what he's done in your life no amount of your activity your works will matter will count for anything unless it is your faith working through love. And as we start this new year, let me encourage you, let's start it off on the right foot. Let's not start by making all these commitments to God. But let's just start by sitting and, and receiving Christ's love and then, and then wanting to respond to Him in love. Let's pray.